Hi there. Welcome to another episode of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Schull. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship guide and mentor, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. To learn more about this show and my services, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, and on Twitter at But Seriously TCP. And please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. This show is brought to you in part by the Cancer Resource Center of the Finger Lakes here in Ithaca, New York. Learn more about the Cancer Resource Center at crcfl.net because no one should face cancer alone. Hi, Margaret. How are you? I am so good. Thank you so much. And you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks great. for being here. I'm, I'm just absolutely delighted. I feel this is a great honor. And I was thinking today about the title of your podcast, but seriously. <laughs> and I know that we're going to um, have our moments of very serious discussion and also joy. But the way I interpret but seriously is that cancer is a very serious business as is our intention, both of us, to help other people who are going through the same thing. So I love the title. Uh, thanks. And th- it's also because as fellow survivors, there's times we'll just be laughing so hard about the insanity of it all that sometimes we have to be like, okay, but seriously, let's get back to the topic. It is, that. that is so true. Yeah, it is. All right, so will you tell everyone... What kind of cancer you were diagnosed with and how old you were, please? Okay, so I was diagnosed with rectal cancer, and I'm 79 now, so I was 77 years old. Age 77. Mm -hmm. And do you know what stage cancer you were diagnosed with? You know, nobody ever told me what stage. I asked about it, and they just said, we're taking care of it. It's kind of of a strange, strange thing. but let me just say this: uh, I had incredible back pain at the time. I've mm. been suffering. I've been suffering with my pressure on, on my nerve from L4, L5. I had a scooter, motorized scooter, in my home to get from my bedroom to the back door, and I to let the dog out in the morning. I couldn't even walk from my kitchen to the television room without that scooter. So my concern at the time was. I've got to get this back pain fixed. And I'd had injections and I'd had decompression treatments and I'd had therapy, all of it. So my point of going through all this is that when I then I was diagnosed with cancer. So I said, okay, I, I was very, I, don't, I hadn't surrendered to the whole thing yet. And I, I think I was very sassy with the doctor, quite into mm-hmm. it actually. So I said, oh, well, I just, you take care of, take care of my back pain, please. I can't go through that with this back pain. And he closed his computer and he said, fine, go get your back fixed and come and see me. And this is how I knew it was serious because my friend was in the room, my advocate, my best friend, and she said, no, we're taking care of the cancer. And obviously that was the first priority. Hmm. So whether it was stage one, two, three, or four, it had to be dealt with as soon as possible. All right. And was the back pain at all related or no? You know, no. That they never, they never did say that. They made that correlation. Gotcha. You just wanted to go take care of the back pain until your friend brought you back around and said, "Hey, wait a second, Margaret." Oh, and not <laughs> only, oh, not only that, but she said, "Margaret, I don't even recognize you. 
you are actually absolutely uh, impolite, and that is not my thing. So, so mm. I think I think it was a uh, indication. First of all, I was in a lot of pain. I really didn't know how I could go through anymore. And the other thing, I think I was in denial. So I had to get over that. And you know, I didn't get over. Well, I didn't want to. I I really didn't want to be offensive to the doctors, and especially since they were my caregivers and caregivers. So I did shape up pretty fast, but it really didn't happen. I don't think I really got it until I had the port insertion. And I was on that gurney for four hours waiting to have that done. And I got more and more impatient and I was uncomfortable. I was cold. It was just, it, I just wanted, I was nervous. Mm. I was stressed. And so I said to myself, I'm just going to get up and leave. And that's when I realized I can't leave. I have to go through this, and I am going through it. So that was a real turning point for me. Yeah. Can yeah. you relate to that? Oh, I can so relate to that, where you finally accept. Like, there's just attitude going left and right, and it's mm -hmm. all in response to the diagnosis, and you think it's not until you finally get struck by it. You're like, okay, mm -hmm. this is what's going on for me. The second time I was diagnosed, one of the second opinions I got, one of the multiple opinions I got, was at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And I had, you know, I had this wise-ass T-shirt on with this, like, wise-ass uh, uh, image on it. So normally when I go to see a doctor for something serious, I dress well because I want to take away any uh, distractions from the doctor. I want them to hopefully address me uh, somewhat as an equal human to human. You know, it's... I think a lot of doctors don't need that, but you never know. So I like to dress well. That way it's just, I'm going to get, hopefully, the respect that I deserve. Uh, and thoughtfulness, you know, it's even more, less, it's less about respect and more about just wanting them to engage with me in a way that I hope is going to be in my best interest. Is it necessary? I don't know. It's what I do. But the second time I was diagnosed, I was so done with it. I just had an attitude, and I go into the doctor's office, you know, with a t-shirt on, with a smart-ass uh, silo image on it, you know, just similar to you, just kind of like, you know, totally not even being with what's so here. Was that the second time I was diagnosed? Ah, heck, you want to know what? It wasn't. It was, <laughs> it was when my diagnosis got worse, and I had to go in and get some additional opinions. That's what oh, it was. Oh, my. You know, so it's, but, but my point is, uh, yeah, then it hits us. And then we realize, it sounds like for you, on that gurney, ready to get your port, you suddenly said, oh my gosh, like, this is real. And you know, it's really interesting because being older, having been a high school teacher, being a leader all my life, being in control, uh, directing single woman for single mom, I made my own decisions. So, so, to be, to be in a situation where you're totally out of control is a huge adjustment. And I like how you said that you dressed um, appropriately, respectfully, you're respecting your doctor. But so many times we look, I was raised by a doctor and doctor's family way long time ago, mm. right? So it was always they knew everything and they knew best, which left me as... Just, okay, okay, whatever you say. So there was a balance that I think both, probably both of, 
maybe most cancer patients have to go through the idea of they know everything and I'm a victim of it, or we are cooperating in this endeavor together, you know, as, as joint, as joint, as a couple that are trying to get to the same goal with the same goal. Is yeah. What I'm trying to say. And so is that, you mentioned that you grew up learning that doctor knows best, but when you were diagnosed, is that the relationship you kept with the doctor or did you look at it more as a partnership? Um, because I, because I was, um, I had so much, I think, experience with um, people in authority and my school system. And, and in, I think that I regained a balance of, um, but definitely respect for what they had studied. I was, I earned a tremendous respect for what they have to go sure. through to be in a position yeah. to know, to know what, first of all, to see, to diagnose it, to recognize what it is, and then to have the remedy that they prescribe. I have total respect and awe of that. Plus, my doctor, my doctor and my relationship was one of, um, that was it, mutual respect. It, it came to that because I don't know, I don't know if he knew I could do it with that back pain. I think he really wanted me to have that fixed. I don't think he wanted that, in, you know, involved in it because obviously it was, it's taking a toll on the body and the mind mm -hmm. and the emotions, but, um, he could, he could tell that there was something, but I also had this friend, Pam, and he would ask, he said, Oh, he would actually tell us. He said, very few people have a friend like that. First of all, mm -hmm. she's, she's very knowledgeable about uh, the body. She, you know, she studied, um, uh, she taught uh, health. And so she was, she, it was a good, it was a good balance. She was extremely effective where, as my not only my advocate but as my listener, so I could relax and depend more on that. I didn't have to do it all by myself, which is a great that gift. Is such an important piece of oh, going through the diagnosis and the treatment and gift. everything. Having an advocate and a listener with you, absolutely, because half the time you can't hear what's being said. No, you're thinking about all the other things you have to do. Oh wait, I have to have treatment. So now, what am I? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How am I going to take care of all these things? And you don't even hear what the doctor is saying. Oh, very fortunate oh, that you is, had her. That is so true. And then I had another friend, and her name is Sue, and she she is a researcher, and she's been she taking care of her mom, her sick mom. She's gone. I think she's had everything done possible that could be done with any, every sickness. Seriously, so mm. I depended on her also because she she. But she would never scare me, and she would only wait till I asked a question about it unless she thought it was necessary to tell me. So I was never brought down by an oppression of people's opinions of negativity. And I think that is huge. Yeah, people who, who greet you, that's a really good, good point I never thought about before, on this at equal level of understanding, right? With the same yeah. goal. And that they, it's, it's like we're, we're together on shoulder to shoulder. You're not above or beneath, but we're doing this together. And that's how I felt about my doctors. But I didn't ask you what kind of cancer you had for... I was first diagnosed with rectal cancer. Oh, my gosh. Did they tell you what stage it was? Stage 2T4. Yeah. And so did you have to have surgery, or did you go through treatment like I did? Oh, chemo, radiation, then surgery, and then six months of follow-up chemotherapy. It was brutal. The doctor told me, he said, I'm going to bring you to the brink of death, you know, and you're just going to hit this with everything we have and keep you healthy. That way it doesn't come back. Came back, but 
that was pretty brutal treatment. <laughs> Do you think it was um, to your advantage that he just laid it out like that so you weren't surprised or would it have been better for you not to know? I preferred knowing. Me too. I preferred knowing that, yeah, that he was going to hit me hard. You too? Yes. Um, I did not know that the radiation would cause practical, I should say, almost holes in my groin. I don't know if you experienced that. But, um, you know, you think, how can that, you look at it and you think, how, besides how much it hurt, how could that ever heal? Because it's in a place that doesn't get air and, and it just, you, know, you can't put a Band-Aid on it. But I wish that, um, he did tell me, my, my radiologist did say, this is like running, your treatment is like running a marathon. And I wrote a book about my, my healing from cancer and I, in it, I remembered I was an English teacher and taught literature, but I, I remember in the book Marathon Man that the worst, it was a um, mystery novel, but it was, they had a torture scene in there where somebody had their teeth pulled out without, mm, mm -hmm. I don't know, did you ever read that book? Oh, no, I watched the movie. Oh, then you know. Well, horrible. I have a, oh, horrible. <laughs> Good, but terrible so, to watch. So I thought that immediately I thought of that scene in that book and Oh my gosh. But I also realized Marathon was sticking and he explained it very carefully. It was, do you want to, you know, stick it out? Are you going to stick it out? You have a decision to make. And I knew right then I wouldn't quit, but, um, it is very, um, it is very overwhelming to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. I found the radiation to be the worst part of it, but you said you wrote a book. I did write a book. Um, What's the title of it. Moving Forward With, Through, and Past Cancer. Really? When did you write it? When did you publish it? I published it a year ago in October. With, Through, and Past Cancer? That's right. And it's on Amazon. I have a website. I've written a journal. The journal that I wrote after the book, like six months, seven months later, the journal is a um, tool for cancer patients to either involve themselves in the process more intimately they can write in it themselves or they but it's, it's free to download as a pdf and or they can have somebody they can dictate the answers to somebody but my point was there's a lot to think about and i put in their questions for to journal about so that it could be a prompt to prepare but it could also be a documentary of your journey how brave you are how sad you were how afraid you were but when you're all done you have something that you can look back on and say if I did that I can do just about anything so mm. yes so yes now and where can people find what's your website where can they find the okay. journal com. so it's m-a-r-g-a-r-e-t margaret.com and, um, Moving forward with Margaret.com. Yeah, that's it. Beautiful. I'll make sure that's in the description when we release the episode. That's so good. Now, I can skip to how it was that I wrote the book, although that was after I was I was better, right? If you want me to tell that story, it's really interesting because it does give a good outcome. I, I once, I, I thought of this, in, in tremendous suffering, there's also an opportunity to, to love. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree with you. Go ahead. So in thinking about that right now, and as I said, I'm jumping ahead in the story, and this is where I get choked up 
because I had a friend I was reading to. She was going blind. She lived in my neighborhood. She was 83, and um, she's brilliant. She was a published author and um, wise and believed in God, and, and she believed in goodness. And she must, when I, I go to, because she couldn't see, and she loved books, they were everywhere in her house. She told me at one time she would go to the library twice a week, take 10 books out at a time mm. because she thought, and I love this quote, books were um, cathedrals of ideas. I mean, that's how she was. I would have to write oh, down. I, I know. I had wrote down what she said. And then I have to say this. She had white paper and a, and a black Sharpie. And if she'd get an idea about me or something she wanted to tell me, she'd write it real large for her to see. So she yeah. wouldn't forget, right? And I have several of them saved. And every time I look, because she 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 died last July, this past July. So I'm still. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh uh, yes, I miss her. It's very recent. Very recent. So she um, she said to me, Margaret, you have miraculous healing and radical hope, and you have a responsibility, obligation, to write about it. Now I was a. English teacher. I taught writing. I always wanted to write, but I never had a subject that I thought was compelling from my heart. But she was so <laughs> determined and I loved her so much. So I write it. She said, okay, don't worry about the order or anything. Just write what you feel. You have to take people right through the diagnosis, the whole, the whole thing. You have to tell them what helped you. Uh, tell them what got you upset. And just write something, put it in a folder, and then forget, we'll put it all together later. That's exactly what I did. And it was mm. probably the most life-changing assignment and completion of a project I've ever experienced. So Oh my goodness. Oh, it was it was so Bert, it is so healing. That's why we're talking today. Hmm. Well, I can mm -hmm. relate to that in the sense of I kept a blog while I was under treatment and it wasn't just, you know, the physical aspects. It was the mental and emotional. And uh, it became such a catalyst for growth by writing it and provided me so much. Same with this podcast, you know. it's uh, Yes. It's healing. The healing never I mean, stops. Oh, I mean, it's a huge commitment for me to do this, but I won't hide the fact that I get so much out of being able to have yeah. these conversations with each one of you. It's profoundly Wonderful, it, beautiful. It, you know, it, it's an expression of the divine, the way I see it. I think because so, too. I really do. I really, really do. And like I said, in suffering affords opportunities to love, this is one of them. You don't want, you don't want to, find, you know, people say, oh, you can't find good and bad. I'm not saying that. You can see something good coming out of it if you decide to see it <laughs> and take advantage of it. You can see good. If you, but you have to decide. It's not that it just falls in your lap. It's a decision. I think it's a mental decision. It's an attitude. What do yeah, you think? I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that even, you know, when we observe or experience profound suffering, it, well, how do I say, like, if we choose to, you know, we can deeply connected to our heart, feel a, you know, empathy and compassion, perhaps forgiveness and a profound love that 
I find only shows up a certain way when there has been mm -hmm. you know, extraordinary suffering. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we want, right? We don't want extraordinary suffering, but when it, are, mm -hmm. when it, when it shows up in life, it's God's our goodness. connection to our heart is, you know, is, uh, occurs in a way it doesn't in any other experience that I've found. I do. Uh, I have the opportunity to have my books at a local. It's better than a store. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an idea, it's a conception, because this friend of mine has 60 uh, small business um, people in her store, and um, she's just created this magnificent place where there's just beauty and home goods and, and soaps and things to eat, wonderful things to eat. It's, it's just a haven of fabulous. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, so my, it's called Ivy and Sage, and it's in Mesa, Arizona. She invited me to have my books there, and I go, I said to I said to myself, I in all this splendor, I have a book about cancer here. Well, wait, Margaret, it's about healing. But somebody said to me, it was actually a nurse. She said, Margaret, that is exactly what people need around them is all that beauty and positive hope and things to look forward to or to light them off of the ugliness that you you know you're experiencing with the cancer treatments. But my point, I guess, that I was really trying to make first was that when I talk to people, when I go there and meet people signing or just greeting people who are looking at the book, I see, I ask, have you had cancer? I, but I can always tell because I can see it in the eyes. Mm. I can always see it in their eyes because there's a shining forth in the eyes that I don't see in other people. But of course, I'm tuned into that topic in my head, so maybe that's part of it. But it's a it's 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 a companionship of joy that they can be standing there, and I'm standing there, and we're not, you know, we're not we're not dead. For one thing, for sure, we're alive. It's great. Hmm. Yeah, I would imagine when you see people's eyes lighting up, looking at the book, you can tell like it's a. Sounds like, um, well, yeah, it's it, 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 it's shining out of them. The, it the, is. The, uh, the connection that they yeah. experience mm -hmm. just by looking at it. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. And then, Wonderful. And then, did I interrupt you? No. Okay. But then, you know, it's really interesting, too. I don't know if you've experienced it. Since I, of course, I lost my hair. My hair was everything to me. It was just like mm. a, my identity. It was long. It was, I had gray hair in the front of my in the front for a long time or very early when it was it started when I was a junior in high school anyway so it was kind of a signature and <laughs> I said will I lose my hair and he said probably not I don't know that was the biggest that was not true at all right but at that point he probably wanted me to get to leave but I don't know he was so cute well my hair, of course, you know, then it, oh, then I have a picture of myself at that stage where I look so sick and just little stringy strands of hair. But I have a daughter who um, came immediately from California, and um, she's always, she's, she's very eccentric, and she has a shaved head. She had a shaved head, and she was in, uh, in the bathroom one night, and I, she, for a long time, what do you do? Oh, she's shaving her head. So my friend Pam said to me, well, why don't you do it? So, um, I did and it changed everything for me. Oh, wow. You look great. I would never, ever have anybody be afraid of shaving their head. 
it's like so free and you don't believe it. First of all, you don't believe you ever could, but then you do. Did you lose your hair too? Yeah, it was falling out fast enough that I finally shaved my yeah. head. I got my, uh, my boy was, uh, what was he? A year old, two years old, something around that, you know, yeah. and I had him sit in front of me and then did it in front of him. So it wouldn't scare him to suddenly oh, see his little beautiful. hair. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. But I'm a guy, you know, and I, I my yeah. beard and my eyebrows stayed in. So I just, you know, shaved my head and put on a pair of sunglasses and I just looked normal. So you were just so handsome. <laughs> well, uh, where I, I started in my head to go with this story is that now I have this haircut and I look I mean, I really feel great. So my point is, when I'm with other people who are going through suffering or pain, here's the question. And I had to deal with it in the book. I think it happens to people. If I survived and I'm doing so well, do I feel guilty about it? Hmm. I mean, how come me? I know that's not good English. <laughs> how no, come I me? I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Right? But then I thought to myself, well, how am I going to answer that question? And Catherine, my daughter, also said, Mom, what about people who don't have money to get help? Or, or you know, you, you, really have, you really have been privileged in a lot of different ways. I had to answer those questions in my book. And I said, you know, in the book, the, answer, the only answer I could do, I go to God in prayer and I say, everybody has their own mystery in life with you, Lord. And I cannot question it. So I'm going to enjoy what I have. And I'm going to use my privilege to help as many people as I can. Which is, I've always thought that. So, but that's an interesting thought, you know, like, I am sure. well. Did you go through that? Well, you know, when, I guess what, what came up for me was that there were some, people would say, oh, I feel so, you know, they express feeling bad for me. And I would think to myself, like, there are so many people in the world who have it so much worse than me. There are traumas and tragedies I cannot comprehend. I agree. So as far as, but then, but you didn't ask that question. You asked, you know, did I feel guilty? Yeah. And, uh, no. Good. Because I don't understand why I survived cancer twice and why friends of mine multiple friends of mine have had cancer once and died yeah i don't you know people say wow you're amazing you did this and that i'm like oh, well i mean you know I'm, I'll, I'll say thank you right i'm never gonna you know mm -hmm. deny someone uh mm -hmm. the receiving of their acknowledgement but in my what i think is i have no idea why i'm still alive i think i'm lucky do you really think it's luck only mm -hmm. well i know i know what you mean by that though no i'll question that i know what uh, you mean i mean i don't know what the reason is people say well you know you know I, what I, i'm sorry no please go ahead i was kind you know of what, stumbling yeah, forward you know what's interesting about it is that is our quest like every day it's like why in, I mean, I'm not, it's, it's not an oppressive quest. It's a happy quest. It's like, how can I be grateful for what I have today? And it's an opportunity. That's the word I'm looking for. It's an opportunity, just like you're taking right now with me. It's an opportunity for sharing our deepest thoughts, our vulnerability, uh, for giving other people hope. And that's one of the biggest things that people read my book, they, that, they, that they recognize, and it, to me, 
it's it's just being real. But they that that I'm so real in my book. I'm vulnerable, mm. and giving people the op, giving people a role model for that, like you're doing. I I that's that is why I had one of the reasons I believe that I went through cancer that I had cancer. There are a lot of reasons too, a healing of relationships, but I see healing going on since then in a way I never did before. That's what, that's the best way I can say it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And honestly, for what, for how my life changed and who I became after getting diagnosed, I feel lucky about that. Cancer woke me up, Margaret. I was not living true to my heart. Oh, that's the best I, way, to, a good way to say it. Oh, thank you. And when I got diagnosed, I woke up and I was like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm hiding who I am. I don't make uh, myself vulnerable, vulnerable yes. because I don't want people to think. Ultimately, I didn't want them to think I was who I was. I wanted to fit inside of the design of, you know, who guys are supposed to be and what people are supposed to be. And I'm like, no, like if I'm going to die, because I might, I'm going to live my life. I'm done pretending. And then I still, you know, kind of like you're trying to push a cat into a box. I was still kind of hanging on to the edges. And when I got diagnosed the second time, then I finally just woke up and let go and stopped hiding and stopped pretending I was something that I wasn't. And that's been wonderful. So I also feel lucky that way. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't feel guilty for living when other people haven't because I don't understand the design. I don't understand the grand design of this life and the gift that each life is mm -hmm. to all of each of us humans. My mother-in-law, she will say to me sometimes, especially when I was going through my diagnosis, she said, you know, Bert, when we're alive, we look at life and it's like looking at the backside of a tapestry with all the weird tassels and lines and knots hanging out. She goes, God doesn't want us to know. God doesn't need us to know. She goes, but when we die, we go to heaven. We look down and we see this tapestry and it's so beautiful. It all makes sense why things went the way they went. I thought it was this most beautiful analogy for when, when you look at life. Yeah, when you can't comprehend how no, could this can't. be happening. Like even now, Margaret, you look at things in the world now and you're like, oh, I know. how can this be happening? Or I you know. look at history. How could that have happened? I don't know. But there is a design that is beyond me. And though I go through life quite frequently being arrogant and saying things should not be, <laughs> person shouldn't behave a certain way. I do, when I, when I meditate each morning, I do try to presence myself to what's so. And that is that, I have no business assuming I know anything, but I can be grateful and I can be good. I can be kind and I can take responsibility for who I am each day and I'll fail each day and I'll try again the next day. And, you know, so that's a long answer to no, I don't feel guilty, but I totally understand when people do. Because to me, when a person feels guilty because they lived and someone else didn't, you know, that just expresses uh, their gratitude, humility, uh, love for the other people, you know. Uh, yeah, that's that is you couldn't have put it any better. I I love that. I've always been um, very interested in the book of Job in the Bible. The the concept and the story is that everything was taken away from him, and everybody tries to give him the answer. 
and they can't. I mean, the answers are 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 unacceptable. So mm. God, at the end, the, the last couple of chapters, God intervenes and says, "Well, wait a minute." And to, for me, it's just as simple. Did you, Margaret, or anybody, Job, in this case, put the sun in the sky and have it? You know, did you have the waves in the ocean? Did you put the whales? It's. I'm not. I'm paraphrasing. The idea yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not me. So my faith in uh, God and his divine mystery, I can accept it because I personally have decided to believe that He, that God is God of love. So that's helped me immensely. So knowing that I am loved, I can, I can go through things knowing that there is going to be some positive outcome. And there was a great outcome. I mean, my relationships with my children alone, I mean, I'm a, I was a single mom divorced with two adopted children and I had terrible, uh, terrible mm. relationships with those two girls. And both of them came when I said I had cancer to take care of me. The one daughter um, has been here many times. Uh, the other daughter, uh, I couldn't, couldn't, just couldn't, she had to leave, she said. Mom, I have to leave. And I, that was just frightening to me because it was at my worst time. And Pam had been wasn't around. She had gone on a very well-needed vacation. But mm. I said, I, I, just, I just waited. And out of my mouth came the words, you know how it is when, um, when truth comes out of you from our inner spirit, which I think is the strongest part of us. Um, and I just said, if that's what you have to, to do, you have to do it because here's the deal. I cannot ever take the past, redo the past. There's no way. I can't change any of it. I've forgiven myself for whatever I feel like was my part. But my decision, and that is a huge word for me, my decision is to go forward with joy. And anybody who wants to participate in that journey with me is welcome. But I totally understand if you if that's not if, you know, if that, if you can't do that. So everybody has to make their own decisions about that. But to get to a point where I, I when you said you knew yourself, you put all the pretenses down, you, you, you accepted who you were, frailty and, and strengths, then you just, this is, this is me doing the best that I can today. And that's what I want. So, mm. so that was, that was, uh, that I don't know if I healed the relationship as much with my girls as I did with myself. Actually, that is the truth because I, I believe that um, my body cancer was rectal. It was at the bottom of something. I believe that it was at the bottom of my, of my experiencing everyday life up to that point. There was an, an abiding sense of distress about being divorced. Um, mm. Yes, from way back with two adopted kids and then a divorce. I mean, how do you do that? You ask for somebody's kids and then you get a divorce. What's going on? So uh, when I got that revelation, which I thank God for, that I could let that go. And I believe that there's a timeline in all of our lives. And we can, one of the most wonderful insights I ever received from, from, from the spirit was if I drew a timeline and I made an insertion, in that line at any time, I could ask myself the question, did you do the best you could? And was your intention evil or good? And I had to answer, my intention was good. 
So I just said, that was a great way of forgiving myself. And I thought, yeah, but the only thing we can really look forward to in life is the future and, we, and, and not the past. The past brings us to the point where we can do that. That's how I see it. I've had great mm. release on a lot of levels. It sounds like you have. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have. Mm-hmm. That's. It's, it sounds like, well, from what you're saying that uh, the judgment you had about yourself was finally able to be released. Mm-hmm. It was. It was manifesting as this diagnosis, and you said, "Okay, I'm putting this behind me, like it. Yes. I can't continue to carry this." Right, which sounds to me like what you did also. That you put down your mask of your ideal self and your pretenses to please others and to be who you think you should be. And you're just who you are. And it gives you a release and a freedom that's outstanding, right? And joy. And I love the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's my Mm. motto (laughs) because that's what keeps me going. It's just... How can you find joy in sorrow, somebody might ask. Well, I'd ask yourself some questions and see what, is there anything good in it? What am I, you know, when I'm talking to people, I see, I hear that a lot of people don't think they're worth, worth it. Like the basic question, am I worth it? That's what I had to ask myself. I've asked myself for years, am I worth it? Do I feel I'm loved by God? Because a lot of people aren't loved by family or friends. They aren't. And then you have to say, okay, given those two things, I have to do my part with the plan to get well. That's a big, big thing for me. Big thing for me that I had to do my part. So can I, can I kind of tell you how I figured that out? Please how, do. Okay. So my friend, Pam, is a researcher, and she wrote a couple books. She did the study of the mind-body in the 80s. We did a lot of lecturing about it. And uh, she studied Spiri and Bogan, and then they won the Nobel Peace Prize for the studying of the left and right hemispheres of the brain and whole brain thinking. uh, Having said that, we have a left brain literal part of our our being, and we have a right brain intuition part. One, One has language, the left and the right doesn't. It gets seasoned pictures. So she came up with with this idea. Most of us love in life by believing in the victim, persecutor, rescuer paradigm. And it's so easy and it's so, it seems so right, but you're always, you know, like, so to be loving, you pick somebody up and they're a victim and so on and so forth. But if you you really use that paradigm, um, the victim then gets resentful of the rescuer and then eventually becomes the persecutor. It goes on and on. I don't know if I'm explaining it thoroughly enough, but let's just get to the substitution of victim, persecutor, rescue. I'm not a victim of cancer. Uh, Nobody rescued me um, and I wasn't persecuted by it. But what I had to decide in its place, because I did want love and care, was I had to decide that I had clarity, vision, and focus. And this has been huge in our teaching, my teaching career for years. So by clarity, I mean a decision that I make with words from my left brain hemisphere. And my vision is what what do I want from life? I'm worth it, and what do I want? What is my picture? I read something great today that says pictures inside you determine your destiny. So what Mm -hmm. picture do I have? The the Bible says that uh, without a vision, a man perishes. 
So that's what I'm using the right brain for. You get a picture and they could be as simple as like for me, it was wearing a different kind of outfit and bought it, put it in my closet because of course I, would, I, I had surgery later. And I, at that point going through the cancer, I couldn't walk. But anyway, um, so let's get back to vision. Get a vision, a vision of I never even could have conceived being on a podcast with you, writing a book. But my, so my vision, what's happened, my vision has just expanded, right? But here's the key. Then you have to get a plan. And that's the focus. So that's really your whole brain thinking. You're taking your left brain commitment, your right brain vision, and with your whole brain, you're getting a plan. And my plan was extremely specific. And that's what's outlined in my journal on my website. So, you know, what kind of what doctors to see? What kind of attitude did I want? What kind of swabs or food did I need? What kind of, how did I have to set up my finances so that it would be automatic? Where could I get help for the dog in the morning? Um, how could I get a calendar and check off the days for radiation? Eat 60 grams of protein a day and keep track of it. So it, it was a, it was, I just didn't wait to receive treatment. I was participating in the treatment and that was my focus. And I think that's absolutely crucial to anybody who's listening. So we go back to clarity as a decision and I will be well. One way or the other, there's always healing. Healing of something. My, folk, my vision is how will it look when I can walk, when I can wear that outfit, when I can stand without pain, when these groin sores will heal. How will it look? And visualize it. Now you meditate, so that would be a, a perfect thing to meditate on. And then, of course, the, um, the plan, the focus to get the plan. So those are my three, using those three terms and the meaning behind it has helped me so much through my entire life, Bert in my teaching career everywhere to help people get out of that stayed stage of I can do nothing and they give up. And you know what? You really need that because we both know how tired you get going through treatment. You get tired. Mm. You get tired. And yeah. that's okay too. That's okay. It's part of it. But with a plan that you're just to check the calendar, just to make one journal entry, just to visualizes when I was under that radiation machine, that horror thing, you know what it is. Do you remember those, those implements that they put on people with brain cancer over their heads? It just looked like, I'd oh, see them. Yeah. <gasps> There's nothing to describe the horror of it, but I would, I would look at that thing and I would go, my cells in my body were made by God and have a life in them that are cooperating right now with that machine. And then I would think, think, Margaret, of all the minds behind that machine to come up with it and to know exactly where to put whatever they're putting in your body. How awesome is that? That's creation. So I'm going to cooperate, but I am believing, I am feeling and believing every single cell in my body responding to that treatment today. It's huge. It's huge because it shifts, it shifts you to move. What's the title of my book? Move forward, right? It mm. shifts your mindset and your body then, your your healing part of your body, because our bodies heal themselves, which is a miracle in itself. Our bodies then can respond to those thoughts in a way that builds us up. It's huge. It's huge. It is. It is. And uh, you know, were there times when you were not able to get into that state of mind? in the radiation treatments. I ask you because 
I think of radiation, I think of a time when I just had a different approach. I gave myself over to it. I was just like, this is horrible. You know, when I said I can't imagine what more painful radiation is like, the radiologist text to radiology text told me that uh, the only radiation more painful than rectal cancer is for uh, sinus cancer. So she's like, you're already there, pal. <laughs> like, oh, my and gosh. I didn't so, have that pain. Oh, no. Like, no. I, cause, you know, I had a, for me, okay, well, it might have been the location because the rectal mm -hmm. cancer was right next to the sphincter muscle, right next to the anus. So, like, mm -hmm. every day on my anus, essentially, there'd be a sunburn on a sunburn uh -huh. on a sunburn on a sun. Like, it was so atrocious. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is atrocious. That was, like, my groin size. Yeah, cool. yeah, and then it 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 it, it went. Uh, it, gave, it put boils on my testicles. I mean, it just didn't quit. It just like yeah, it, I believe oh. it. I believe it was it. the the pain was ridiculous. There was one time I just started laughing with the radio radio. Mm -hmm. I can't speak today mm -hmm. with the uh, radiation text. I was like, mm -hmm. "What is happening to me?" And they were like, "You're definitely getting a lot of side effects." I was mm -hmm. Like this is insane. Mm -hmm. But is. I'm bringing this up because. You know, you talk about just, you know, saying, you know, this is, this is taking care of the cells in my body. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm you know, paraphrasing, but, you know, mm -hmm. this is providing me what I need. I, I remember just like, I didn't quit, but I did not have a positive attitude about radiation. At, at one point it got so bad. I was just mm -hmm. like, nope, I have a lousy attitude and I just mm -hmm. want to get through this. <laughs> well, I had that about my back pain. That's how excruciating that back pain was. Mm. And I think that's why my attitude with the doctor was so I just put like sassy. Um, when you're in pain like that, you know, I just, um, but I remember one day that the shaving of my head was one time but the other time I was, I was looking up at the uh, ceiling. Uh, we have this in, in the Southwest, you have this kind of, you know, the, it's, it's not smooth, the ceiling, there's kind of a pattern in it. So I, I looked up at it and I saw a face in it, you know, there's no face there, but I imagined it. And I went, God, you know, I'm done. So this is kind of like, you know, I'm done. And from now on, it's, you just have to take over because I can't do anymore. And it was a turning point. So I think all these, like you're being you're you're experiencing that excruciating pain and those side effects. Here's the thing. How did our bodies ever heal? Think about mm. our, think about think about the picture of what you've just described or what I've described. You you yeah. can't imagine that, that that you could be that the that the skin would grow over that or that they would go away or the, I've had boils. They're horrific. Yeah. So the bloating, the diarrhea. Oh, the, yes. The no appetite. The yes. no, just, and, and then with the chemo as well, yes. you're just like, what is happening? Yes. To me? And then how they, could a person ever go through this? I don't know either. And then that, that big, uh, well, here's the time I broke down. And, and I don't know how you took a second. The only time I really cried was before my biopsy to check to see if they got it all. And I remember standing in the kitchen and I said, I don't know if I could go through it again. And Pam was said, you, well, you could because you've already done it. But how did you take a second diagnosis? How many and how long was it after? Yeah. You know, so 
I was cancer-free, done with chemo in 2009, and then I was diagnosed in on September 1st of 2011. Um, it's funny you brought up the book of Job because September 1st, 2011, I was diagnosed with stage 4 metastasis to my liver. Oh, my and gosh. Ten months prior to that, my wife told me she wasn't going to be married to me anymore. Two months after that, I lost my job. A few months after that, I moved out of the house with her and the kids. And then a few months after that, I got diagnosed with stage four cancer. So it wasn't really just like getting diagnosed a second time. It was just like the cherry on top. I, I, I changed my Facebook name to Job. Yes. Because I was just like, really? Yes. Really? Like, what else <laughs> could, could okay. possibly go? Like, I would look oh out the window and wonder gosh. if the locusts were going to arrive. Yes. <laughs> so when I got diagnosed a second time, I thought, okay, I really am going to die this time. Mm -hmm. and uh, And then I put the phone down and walked downstairs and my wife and I were split up. My boy was with me that day and he was about four and a half and he said, Papa, can we go to the waterfall? So I said, of course we can. And uh, I'm on one side of the creek and he's on the other. And I suddenly thought of the river Styx mm -hmm. that, you know, put two gold coins on the deceased person's eyes so they can go across the river to Hades. And I'm a songwriter and a singer and a performer. And I, this song just filled me. And it's just saying, don't you dare put those coins on my eyes. Because even if I die, I'm staying here with my boy. I'm never uh... leaving. And, you know, I said, you know, don't need no care on Hades River Ride. I ain't going nowhere. Sticking right by your side, dead man walking. Because I was convinced I was going to die. But I still had to take care of my boy and take him to play and mm -hmm. make his meals and laugh with him. And so, how did I take it on? That's a great question. I, I, I took it on like, like, this is so insane. I. I will do what there is to do and I will, you know, write songs from my heart about what I'm going through and spend time with those I love and uh, be as true to myself and those around me as I can because I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And then I lived. <laughs> and it's been... Mm -hmm. Not, uh, that was 2011, right? So it'll be 10 years. Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed 10 years ago, and the surgery was on the 28th of October. So October 28th, I'll have been cancer-free for 10 years. If uh, Should I be so lucky with the next scan? So it was crazy. It was, it was crazy, you it know, is Margaret. Cr it, it is crazy, but it really makes sense, too, because the thing that, you know, how I, I'm just always on that word decision, decision, but somebody, somebody, I have a chapter in my book that says, how did you, how did you, they, people say, how did you get that? Just like I asked you, how did you, 
how did you get that I'm going to live business? If you call it that, that isn't the best way to say it. But anyway. <laughs> it's fine. I get it. Yeah. You know, you get it. So I went back to an occasion right after the divorce, going through the divorce. My whole point is I knew I was, it was love that did it. So just like in the story of your boy, that's what I, I see the parallel perfectly or the, or the, the similarity. Because when I was, I was very young, had two adopted kids. He had another woman. We were, he was leaving. He was divorcing. Mm. He had, he didn't want us anymore. I didn't want anything to do with it. So, and everybody loved him and, you know, it's going to be my fault in my head. So I went home to my mom and dad and they were just wonderful people, good people. And I said, we, we had dinner and then I said to my mom, do you think that I, I was teaching uh, at high school? I don't know that I, no, I wasn't teaching yet, but anyway, I lived 30, an hour away. Do you think that we could move in with you? And um, my mom always said, you know, anything that made sense or whatever. Oh, sure. And my dad was, okay, kitty, that's fine. My mom said, I have to ask dad what he thinks. I was shocked. So she said, why don't you just go give the kids a bath, the babies a bath, and, and dad and mom, dad and I will talk about it. My dad had been just diagnosed with prostate cancer. He was a radiologist. Mm -hmm. He always knew he was going to get cancer. He did. So... Um, they, I was on the, you know, the floor giving the babies a bath and um, very depressed. Heart, I'm sure you've been, uh, people who are listening maybe just know what it is to be depressed where you can barely lift your arms. Yeah. So, yeah. So, they, but I was doing it and they came to the door and they stood in the doorway and they, dad has arm around mom. And he, he said to me, you can stay. Dad and I have talked about it, and this is your home, and you can stay as long as you want. Mm. And I looked up at them. I'll never, ever forget it. And I said, and now I have the courage to go home, to go back, to leave. Because, but, but that's the moment of love that's so pure, like with your boy. And that's when you know. you. It's, it's beyond words, isn't it, Bert? Yeah. It's beyond words, because has nothing to do with the circumstances. So I have a, a whole chapter about that in the book. So knowing that I was loved, respected, valued, that there is love and love, there is goodness. There is goodness. Now, I know some people don't have it. Really, they don't. That's why I write. Find something good. So that sustained me. And so it gave me a spirit of survival, I think. That gave me, because I survived that divorce. I survived it. You know, that's true. I never thought about it till now. I did survive that divorce. I thought I was going to die. I'm sure mm. you did too, right? The pain was, of the divorce. I don't know what was worse. My wife telling me she was leaving me yes. or getting diagnosed with cancer. They were both so horrifically painful. Yes. I'll and tell you, you, you want to what? If I could, you, go, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, go ahead. I think having cancer was easier because with cancer, there's no one to blame. Oh, and you and, and there's a part of you and me that blame ourselves. Right. So, so what? Well, so I'm talking what, about. I mean, when she told me she was leaving, I could blame her. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I couldn't blame anyone. And oh, I see. On a, on a side note, that's one of the things that had me. It's one of the things that liberated me inside of my diagnosis. 
So for you had mentioned like being in control, and I know that for some folks, and I was curious about this, you tell me, for some folks, finding some place to be in control during the treatment and all the process is very valuable to them. To me, and I've had guests on here that have told me just that, which I, and I find it fascinating because for me, what freed me was realizing that I had no control, that I could only do what my doctors say, choose the doctor I want to work with, follow the protocol, and then it will go as it goes. And if I live or I die, I don't have a whole lot of say. I just get to do what there is to do. And that freed me. And that really was, allowed me to just, you know, I still had my grief. I'd still break down, right? But it was, uh, you know, it was what allowed me to have peace of mind that I had no say. When my wife ended mm -hmm. our marriage, if I, you know, quote, you know, my thinking was, you know, if I could only get her to see the error in her ways and how she's doing this and how it doesn't work, mm -hmm. you know, that's where all the anger came from. That's where the experience of feeling powerless. And then once I feel powerless in life, you know, that's the one that gets me to start having terrible thoughts and just really going into dark places, you know. And I didn't feel all, you know, the powerlessness with cancer was like, who am I going to argue with? But with the, oh, so, that's interesting. <laughs> With her, though, that was harder. I'll tell you, that is debilitating, that divorce business. Yeah. It is. And I think for me, it was a profound sense of failure. Yeah, just, me too. That just, and speaking for myself, I'm an achiever. So, you know, that type A achievement. I mean, it was just an expectation that I had it for myself. And that was the failure. And that failure... I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with it because, you know, one part of it for me, and I had that before the cancer, but one part of it was, oh, you know, this is, this is interesting. Um, what, what is taken away from us leaves a space for something else to come. So my being single, my being able to do what I wanted, what I did in my lifetime is I've never remarried. Um, I could never have done that as a wife. I could never, have, I never could have experienced those experiences. So I think that's the story of Job too. Everything was restored for Job. Double. No, was it the same things? No. Were they the same children? He lost children. Mm. He lost everything. But he was restored, but mostly his joy was restored. And that's how I feel about my life. And that's what I hope for other people, that through the process, some deep healing is taking place that we don't have words for, we can't imagine, really, we can't figure out. Did that happen to you? Have you felt that yet? A deep healing mm -hmm. as a result of the experience? Yeah, I think you've told us that you have. Yeah, for sure. I, uh... Yeah. My relationship to myself mm -hmm. was what healed and that's how I was able to heal my relationship with my son's mom now we're not together anymore but you know that was in 2010 and uh, after about five or so years well I can't even I don't even know the timeline anymore but mm -hmm. you know we're real close now we're super close friends and I'm glad that we're not together but 
I will, you know, but, but how would I say this? Uh, well, she and I talk about this, you know, how she ended her marriage wasn't so great. And she, she, you know, at one point after we started to heal and forgive one another, which was the biggest part, you know, at one point I, I said, thank you so much for ending our marriage. And she just burst into tears. And she's like, I did the worst job ever. How can you thank me? I said, who else would you have rather divorced than me? She's like, anybody? <laughs> because uh... I'm so stubbornly loyal to the people in my life that I can be blindly loyal. Uh... And, you know, I forgave her. Mm-hmm. I forgave myself. She forgave me and she forgave herself. And you know, in the work that I did, over the years with a therapist and with coaching and spiritual teachers, it was really about coming to terms with myself and softening to myself and not just accepting myself, really learning to appreciate myself. And in that, in doing so, I softened to the world and became more accepting of the world. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, I can't separate the fact that these... You know, incredibly difficult experiences were what provided mm-hmm. it for me. You know, I mm-hmm. I never really knew what forgiveness was. And then I asked a buddy of mine who had healed his relationship with his wife. I said, I don't even know what that word even, how do I even do that? He said, well, my teacher told me it's giving up the right to resent. So I spent oh. a week thinking about what that was. Yeah. And I came to the conclusion that oh, I don't want to give up resenting her because I hold it over her head to let her know that what she did was wrong. Margaret, I wouldn't even smile on the street out in case she saw me. I didn't want her to think I was happy. I wanted to hold it over her head. And when I saw that, I was like, we are not on good terms. I'm the last person on the planet who's got any leverage over her. And without that, why do I need to keep judging her? So I forgave her and I called her and told her I forgave her. And... uh over the years, over time, we slowly began to heal. And the day that I'd come off a, uh, a seven-day silent retreat, and a few days, maybe a week after it, she and I were talking about if we should sign our boy up for ski club or not. And then after we were done talking, the conversation just led to me just gently asking her, like, you know, how come, you know, you never took responsibility for how you ended our marriage? And within about five minutes, we were both sobbing our eyes out. And she told me, like, she's like, I can't believe what it must, I can't imagine what it must have been like for you to have me leave you the way I did. And she asked me what it was like, Margaret, and I got to tell her. Oh, that is so good. Oh, my goodness. And so... Then when I was, when it got quiet again, when I had no more to say, it suddenly dawned on me. She's the woman who left me, the guy who got diagnosed with cancer, a second time after, you know, after she leaves me. What was it like to be you in our community? And she started crying, saying it was so painful. People were mean to her, you know. It was just like, and I'd wanted people to be mean to her so bad. And then when I heard she was, it crushed me. It just broke my heart. And... One of the extraordinary things out of all of this was, and it was my brother, I called him that day after that conversation. I called my family and told each one of them about the conversation she and I had and about the healing that we'd Mm -hmm. provided one another. My brother said, you know, 
You're a real fortunate person. He said, you, uh, mm -hmm. you had your wife leave you. It broke your heart. Mm -hmm. You were able to forgive her and heal and to be able to love each other again. He's like, few people have the privilege of going through that complete process. And not anything I'd ever have expected my brother to say. <laughs> He's the last person oh, I would thought would say that. Interesting. And he brought that to my attention. I, I couldn't say much. I was just like, mm. I have experienced, I, you know, experienced forgiveness in a way that mm. now I really get forgiveness. It's like forgiveness to me, the power of it is when there's something someone does and you don't need to forgive them and nobody would blame you if you didn't. When it's something that it's just like, it's just too much. And forgiveness was freeing myself. And it was so powerful and so beautiful and margaret it wouldn't have happened if she hadn't done that you know the story about the little angel no i don't think so so there's this little, i'm going to give you the real condensed version and uh i'll see if i can find the name of it just because if i'm going to speak of it i would like to at least address it properly let's see little angel oh, this the, the little soul in the sun a Children's Parable by Neil Donald Walsh, W-A-L-S-C-H. And this little angel is having a conversation with God and comes down to a little angel wanting to know what it's like to be a human and what it's like to be a person. And the little angel learns about people and at one point says, I, I want to know what it is to forgive. And another angel's little buddy says, well, I'll help you. Okay, well, how will we do it? And the one says, I'll do something that you'll need to forgive me for. But the thing you need to remember is I will have forgotten who I am. And I'll need you to remind me. Mm. So when I forgave my wife, my son's mom, I learned, I realized that you know, in the context of that story, like I let go of my beliefs that I know better about how life should go and who people should be. And I saw the profoundly beautiful privilege it was to forgive her and that it took something that required forgiveness. And you don't get one without the other. I didn't get the transformative relationship to life without cancer, so... You know, cancer is one of the best things that ever happened to me. And for people who hear this, and, it, you know, if you're listening now and it's not the best thing that ever happened to you, good. Maybe you were already being honest with yourself and you weren't a knucklehead like me. Or <laughs> and me. You, or you're, and you didn't need yourself knocked into reality. But for me, you know, it was, uh, this was a profoundly beneficial experience. And I like I said, I couldn't add one without the other.
I can't tell that story about the little angel and the little soul. What's it called? The little uh, what's it called? The little soul in the sun. I can't tell that story without crying. It's so moving and uh, so beautiful. Little soul in the sun. Yeah. And it's written by Neil Donald Walsh. And it's spelled W A L S C H. Mm-hmm. I got that part. Yeah, and it's just so. You know, I think that um, we look forward to heaven as being divine. You know, maybe heaven will be this or that for people. Like, oh, wait till you get to heaven. What you just described for me is divine. There's a sense of divinity that is so palpable to me. Um, I, I feel the presence of God all the time in the smallest little things, even if it's a bite of a hot fudge sundae. Um, but what you're talking about is is a restoration of the heart and the soul that you got to experience in this lifetime. Yeah. And how few of us have that opportunity. And and you can't force it. I don't think you can force it. I've watched people try, right? I tried for years with the relationships with my daughter. You can't. But somehow, and this is what I believe, the grace of God takes it away. It's just, it is a miracle. And there isn't, I, I feel more and more compassion for, you said at the beginning, compassion for people. Like, I don't know how they've been hurt or what wounds they're carrying. It has nothing to do with me. But I can't unfix it for them. But I can be a lot less critical, judgmental, and I can be a lot more loving just knowing that. It's only, I really do believe it's, 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 it's God who fixes the heart. I'm, all, I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of it. And that's, again, why I love the Job story, because of the restoration part. I so believe in restoration. Look at what's happened to you. And look at what kind of a opportunity that we've had. We're talking about cancer. But I know in another interview I did, this, it was, we were to start talking about divorce. It is a huge mm. factor in people's unwell-being it's not a well-being thing. And if it directly influences, you know, our being, you're sick in heart, your body takes takes on that too. I believe that. But to see the, the, the wonderful healing power of God's mercy and grace, what do they say? It's new every morning. And that's just, uh, that's the testimony. I couldn't even in my deepest prayers and greatest expectations ever have manufactured or put together knowing you and having this moment that I've just shared with you. Except for what that we both came together saying we got something out of hmm. and we want to give back to people who have had great suffering like we have. Yeah. And that's divine. Hmm. Speaking of which, you said earlier, you said, God, I'm done. You said that was a turning point for you. Yes. What did it provide you? Okay, so being that's done. such a good question. It was, I wasn't done with him. I was done with thinking, I, I was, you know what it was? It was, I'm watching for you to work for me now. I've done everything I can. It's your turn. 
I talked to God like that. I heard him say the other day to me, I have a great surprise planned for you this week. I was driving home from the grocery store. I go, well, where is it? I'm waiting. That's kind of my relationship, right? It has to be fun. And um, that's how I how I was that day. I said, I've done everything I can, and uh, it's your show. It's your show. I'm watching. I'm waiting. And it, it was a huge turning point for me. It was like, a, you know, less. it was trust. It was faith and not fear. It was trust. It was a knowing that something beyond me was going to help me out. And it did. Okay, so it provided you trust and faith in God. Yep. It allowed you to let go. Yep. Trust. And ride shotgun. Let God take the steering wheel. You just like you're riding shotgun. You're like, okay, God, yep. you're running the show. I trust you. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so freeing. It was. And then after that, um, we never got back to to the back situation. So I was finished with my chemo and radiation at the end of at the beginning of November, but I'd lost ten pounds, and um, not a big person to start with. So. That's when I started doing the 60 grams of protein a day and keeping track of it. It's not just eating it. I had to be proactive in keeping track, writing it down. It's a lot of protein. So, it? yeah, it was for me. It may be different for everybody. I'm not a nutritionist, but it did. It was a proactive, I'm going to get better. And then Pam would say, you know, just, just try to do two things a day that you aren't used to and then stop. And then next time, you know, try that for a few days and then do three things, something like that. But keep in, in, keep going. And then the other thing was, so by February 9th, I had back surgery. And um, that was a life and death thing, too. You know, you may be paralyzed forever. You may die. You may, you know, what is your quality of life? So you waited until after mm-hmm. your cancer treatment yes. to have the back surgery. Yes. Interesting. So I had that okay. pain. I had that pain and that debilitation, debilitation, the whole time I was going through chemo and radiation. So I would go to a doctor's office and I'd be on the floor rubbing my my uh, hip, my pain, my leg with baseball just to get it hard, you know, as much as I could get the tension off the nerve. But um, the minute I woke up from that operation, I never had that pain again. Mm. And um, it was that is that was miraculous. But then I had a horrendous, horrendous. And I've heard people have this from the from radiation, although they never told me it was a direct result. Um, I had like hives and rash over my entire body. Did you have any of that? And itching like you can't believe. Hives and rash my whole uh, body from the radiation. Oh my gosh! No, that sounds miserable. Yeah, it covered my entire body. So. Mm. So there was still a ways to go. The last chapter in my book <laughs> is called, my chapter titles are fun. Like with, Good. it's the port one is the port and a tuna fish sandwich. And, <laughs> and um, yeah. And the, and the one about forgiveness is the glass cross in the cabinet, stuff like that, because there is an, there is an irony of, of humor to all this. But anyway, uh, my last chapter is called to be continued. Because I don't know about you, but I've had evidence of blood again. Um, and I've had to be mm-hmm. reassured that it was the radiation. You know, my, my, the skin around my anus was, was uh, affected. And so I've had to be reassured. Okay, so I've had to go two or three times to say, okay, so when should I really take this seriously? Or when is it just the radiation? I've been told. But um, healing, but the p- good part about it is those scares come. But the good part about it is healing is continuous. 
and I think I made this point over and over. I'm sorry if I repeat myself so much today, but the, mm-hmm. the healing process is every single minute of every single day. So when you see your son and you and he smiles at you, that's when your cells in your body jump with joy, right? That's when your healing takes place. That turning point, I think, for you, to my mind, in my mind, your healing point was that decision you made up that creek um, because it was love that did it. So if we can, if we see that joy in our lives every single day, that is to be continued. That is healing. It's cancer sets you up to be afraid enough to be faithful enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing you say is that it brings you to a place where it brought you to a place where faith was just absolutely necessary. (laughs) Oh, there was no doubt about it. And then, yeah. and then from faith, like in your case and mine, comes forgiveness. And then forgiveness is a, is a different kind of, and you've said it so much better, of acceptance of yourself. But, but the key is purpose. So look at both of us now. Complete yeah. strangers who had a friendship developed that will be eternal. And I believe in eternal friendships, but I don't mean in heaven. I mean now. Those yeah. friendships, those connections, if you want to call it a connection, our friendship, are eternal. They live in your memory. They live in your heart. You can celebrate that memory every single day, which I will with you, just enjoying opportunity to share wisdom, understanding, and divine purpose. And um, I'm just so grateful. Now, you, I think you, I listened to one of your podcasts, and you asked the person what they thought that they, um, in this one particular podcast, what they thought they were giving back. So you're, can you tell me what you're doing now? You're doing these podcasts. What else are you doing? Well, there's cancer survivorship coaching and there's the podcast. And then there's the time that I spend just with community members. You know, when people call me or text me and say, Hey Bert, my friend just got diagnosed. Can you, can they call you? I say, of course they can, and probably only about 10% of those people will actually call, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so I'm always available to my community, and I am a, I am a, what's what's it called? I am a uh, mentor slash buddy for the Colon Cancer Alliance. Oh. They set me up with someone who had a, um, colorectal cancer, for the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. Uh and he and I talk, and uh, you know, it's made such a difference for him to speak yes. to someone who's had stage two and stage four colorectal cancer. You know, and, absolutely. Uh, provide, you know, he told me he's just like he was just like you know, he was clear that he did not have someone who'd been through it to speak to before, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can hear his strength develop mm-hmm. as the days have gone on. You know, and he gets more uh, acquainted with. Mm-hmm going through cancer and the diagnosis. So, you know, it's, uh, and then being a cancer survivorship coach has resulted in me. Well, I'd say it's part of what has me, you know, host this podcast and be able to, you know, I've had training and how to get really curious about people's lives and how to ask questions and how, you know, there's certain questions I ask where there's a real, uh, I believe a tenderness required, you know? Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, that has revealed, that's, that's provided me something in this podcast, but it's also, you know, how I make myself available to friends and community as well, even if they're going through something like that's not cancer. 
Oh, I know set two. Yes. Yeah. So, because people say, hey, you know, you've been through, I, you know, they're like, I'm going through something. And I know you've been through some pretty difficult stuff. So perhaps we can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Or they know that I'm willing to help people, uh, assist people in getting clarity for themselves. You know, I don't give folks advice. I'm not a big fan of advice. You know, all the advice in the world, I don't know how much that does for us. <laughs> but when we can get clarity about ourself, when we can distinguish mm-hmm. Okay, our values, our commitments, and untangle all the thinking and the emotion and be able to, you know, untangle all the wires and then lay them out. We can actually see how we can go forward. But, you know, that's not always something we can do on our own. So how do I give back? I give give back in, in so many ways, you know. And I learned years ago, uh, 2005, six, in a training program, I really got that. I was taught and learned by example that, you know, the most fulfilling my life has ever been are the times when my life was about something greater than myself. Oh, yes. You know, and if, and in these same folks, they'd say, you know, if you, to a person who's mm-hmm. just consumed all, the, all their personal problems, they'd say, well, we can solve all, this, all that for you real easily. It's very simple. You don't have big enough problems. Go find bigger problems. Find something bigger than yourself. Because if you're consumed with your own personal problems, not not that they don't matter, but when they when they consume us, we're not Mm -hmm. effective. But when we're out in the world doing something for the world, for other people, for an organization, for a community, for the Mm -hmm. world community, or even for an individual, we're doing something. We're devoting ourselves to something greater than ourselves. And that just gives us a different relationship to our daily struggles. It does. So I try to do that. And this is certainly part of it. This is a huge commitment. It is. So um, with your cancer coaching, do you have, um, uh, is that a business that you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And people contact you then and that's your, is that your like job? You talk about the world. Is that like your job now? Yeah, it comes in ebbs and flows, right? And uh, mm-hmm. life provides, life seems to be directing it does. me. It it's does. like the river is directing it me, does. Margaret. I know. And there's times, there's times the river is directing me one way and I'm fighting the current the whole time. And as I've gotten older, I've learned that just go with the flow, you know, like, oh, I don't have too many clients this week. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. What else is happening? And this whole thing opens up that I Isn't wouldn't have had available to me if I was slammed with clients. It's, it is absolutely one of the greatest lessons in life. Wisdom. What, is, what does it say? The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. But when you surrender to your purpose, God brings you the opportunities. I have found that so true with the book. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's the personal relationships that I've developed like this that are the most meaningful to me, mm. bar none. And, and now I'm writing another book about um, pe- living happily past 80. And I'm Reading writing, one or writing one? I'm writing it. Oh, writing it, wonderful. Yeah, I am. I'm writing it. And it's, it's bringing me in touch with people in their 80s and 90s who are happy and healthy and who've lived through a, a lifetime of ups and downs and they've they, they still have this attitude that life is worth living and life is valuable. 
And those relationships have, you know, I have this idea of breathing life into people and then breathing mm. life back into me. I know that I just see that as God's breath, you know, when he created Adam. And then I just take that to the, to the extent of just breathing life into each other as a metaphor. So I find that these, the people I interview, uh, God has given me an ability to um, ask them questions and, and, and be, we become very, very personal, intimately personal about their life. And then I can make it something that maybe they have never seen before in the chapter. Some, something that they have always had in their life that has sustained them. And hopefully when people read the book, they will get hope from that too. And that's my goal. So that's what God is, mm. that's what God is having me do right now. That sounds wonderful. And so I was about to ask you in return, like, how do you give back? Um, and I can see in part yes, it's I, these books you've written, the book you've written and the one you're writing. Yes, yes. And um, and, and any opportunity I have that uh, that I can, I can, I use, I use what Carolyn gave me, right? Miraculous healing and radical hope. Whenever I can share that in any form or fashion, I'm all in. That's what I want to do. But it's with, a, hopefully with wisdom. It's, I'm not a pep talker. I'm not a positive thinker person. I'm not one of those. I'm like, let's take what is and let's see what's good in it, which is really yourself. And let's go from there. Yeah, that's what it's about. Yes, you said miraculous healing and... Radical hope. That's what Carolyn told me. She said, you have... Yeah, Carolyn, Carolyn? Was, Carolyn was my mentor who told me to write the book. Oh, okay. The one who's just passed away. The one who you would read to. Yes, the blind. And she got very, she couldn't see at all towards the end, and she was ready. But she always wanted me to be on the radio and wanted me to be doing just what I'm doing. She had, she she felt it was, a, I told you, she was on me. You have too many distractions in your life, too much decorating for Christmas. You need to write that book. You know what I mean? With, with love, but she meant it. It's like that is she. She meant it with an urgency. I got to present the book to her. She couldn't see the cover real well, but I got to also tell her before she died that I would have an interview on Connect Radio. I've met the most wonderful people, and I have another couple that um, they live in very close by. They're coming over in a week, but they're stage four cancer survivors, both of them, and they're married. Mm. She's still fighting breast cancer. But um, they're gonna, he's going to be doing a cross-country bike ride. And they, have a, they have a foundation. It's wonderful people. And if, to be a part of that, to be friends with them, and to support, help support that, joy of my life. I bet. So here's what I'm asking. If you see something from this interview or knowing me now, if you see something that you think I could be doing or you see a need I could fulfill, that I would really appreciate. But for you, what I'm asking from you is one of your songs and how I can get in touch with it because that would just make my heart so happy. Hmm. Thank you. I, uh, I, so in 2008, seven or six we recorded the album and then Ooh. in seven i was diagnosed with cancer and then in 2008 a buddy of mine got a hold of the 
friend who owned the studio where we rec- where we recorded it and said, you know, we gotta get this album completed for Bert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because nobody knew how my cancer you know, treatment right. was going to turn out. And so they did. And then time went on and life got busy. And I got diagnosed a second time and then went through the divorce. And I never recorded a second album. So that is certainly due. But in the meantime, I have an album that I could mail to you. A CD, you know. Or I used oh. to keep... I, I used to keep the CD on SoundCloud, but I could send it to you. Okay. And then I'll send you a book signed. Oh, oh, you're a sweetheart. Thank you. And anybody, anybody, but, but, but the journal is downloaded. People go to my website. They will get the, we'll have the link for the podcast there, but they'll also be able to download that journal for free. And I also do a weekly blog. That's fun, Bert. (laughs) That's yeah. just so much fun. I take a picture of something, like just let's say uh, in the Arizona heat, everything's rocks, and then this little tiny flower is peeking up, right? I take a picture of that, and then the, the, the I always just get one word, like in this case, I just, this isn't what I wrote, but it would just be survival, you know, or I'm doing it. And so then I write about what that picture symbolizes to me, and I do it every Monday. And you can, people can get that on, by going to my website and signing up for my blog. It's great joy to me. I'm, I'm working on one right now for a woman who lost her husband. So, yeah. Mm. That yes. sounds really wonderful. That's fun. So you see something uh-huh. to take a picture of, mm-hmm. and then you write about what that what symbolizes that to yes, you. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And do you go on about your own personal life and mm-hmm. how it shows up for you? Uh, no, it's really more of a wisdom thing and just inspiration thing. And then okay. I just let people take it where they want to take it. Hmm. Um, I wrote my last one was called Change. And it's a picture of a floral floral decoration I have in the house. But it's all the colors of fall. And it goes something like change can, can sometimes be absolutely devastating. But what the seasons remind us is that there is something beautiful in it. Stuff like that. Very short. But they come every Monday. People are starting to look forward to them. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, a long, one of the first songs I ever wrote, like the second tune I ever wrote, it's called Top Down. And it's about, you know, the imagery is, you know, to, or at least to figuratively in life to, you know, if you're in a car mm-hmm. convertible, you know, put the top mm-hmm. down, let the fresh air and the sunshine mm-hmm. in. And there's a, is it a, is a, a verse, part of a verse that says, uh, um, um, well, the first verse, you know, it goes, uh, it's like, uh, I'll sing it for you. It says, um, the morning sun is rising, lighting up the sky, autumn leaves changing color, what a lovely way to die. Oh, my God. Goodness. Oh my goodness. Friend and I were sitting oh my goodness. at the foot of the lake and the leaves were changing. And I looked at her and may she rest in peace, my friend Deirdre. Uh, wonderful woman. I looked at her, I said, Isn't that a lovely uh, way to die? Look at that beauty. Oh, can I use that for my book? Can you use that? Yes, I would love sure, to use that in course. my book. Oh my oh goodness. Oh my gosh. 
Because mm. it sounds like what you're speaking about. Like you can just see the simplest thing and it can be so profound. Oh, yes. I have a picture that I got, a painting. I'm looking at it right now across the room. Of, um, I, I met this artist when I was 16 and he's, he's brilliant. And it's open doors. One door, another door, another door, another door. And um, that's one. that was one of the ones that people really responded to. But there's always a door that will be opening. And it's just, so just said doors, you know, that's it. Um, that's how I do it. One, mm. one word, maybe two. And um, the one that's going to be coming Monday is called Puzzle. puzzle. <laughs> I got it in my head. Yeah. But it's just so yeah, much it, fun. And it just comes so easily. So that's a gift from God, like you um, and your compassion and your being able to do this with such ease with this podcast, making me feel so at home. See, I really believe that is a spirit inside of us. It's so much stronger than anything physical. I sit down to write. The writing just comes. There was a woman who talked to me the other day. She was really concerned about people being negative about her health. And I just had had it. I came home and I go, who could speak that into somebody? Because words have a profound creative effect. Mm -hmm. So I just sat down and I wrote um, a chapter you know, enough already. Enough already. Somebody's got to say stop. And, you know, the sad part for me is that these are well-meaning people. They don't know what damage they're doing to the elderly. But anyway, that's why I'm writing the book. That's why That's I'm really powerful. That's so important. Uh, the the just, speaking, you know, of people around us and, and it, it is, is so impactful, positively or negatively. Words, words have um, an, an, an eternal effect on people. And yeah. um, I had something written down about, yeah, they, they go into your soul if you believe them. But it takes, a, even if you don't believe it, it's, it takes a lot of energy, unnecessary energy, to transform those words into something that, that you know is true in yourself. It's not, you know, it's, it's not right and, uh, well, in the Bible, in the beginning in Genesis, you know, God created the world with words, light be, that's it. Mm. So we have to remember the power of our words is, is huge. I have a friend who wrote a book about that too. Yeah. I love that. You know, I do want to, for the listeners, I want to give them some idea. How did you find out you had rectal cancer? What, oh, this what brought is you important. to the doctor? Okay. This is very important. Thanks for asking me that for it. Yeah, I had uh, uh, I was visiting my daughter, the one that I always struggled with, and um, I had I went to the bathroom and blood was everywhere in the toilet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it was an absolutely un, unusual occurrence. Now, yeah. what did I do about it? I didn't know how I could clean it up without letting her know or anybody know or and panicking. I can't understand why I was in that much denial. I really can't. Looking back on it, do you know? So then I had my physical exam and. I just said to the to the doctor, reported, yeah, I had some blood. It was probably hemorrhoids. And that was it. Two years later, I had more blood. That August of 2000, what is it? But anyway, 2078. So I, I had blood again. And I had the back pain at the time. So I was into, like, things are not working right. So I went to, and I, I was, yeah, he found it. He found uh, the cancer. So then I had to go through the whole stage. But my point, I went to 
the to get the colonoscopy, and the and the um, physician's assistant said to me, interviewing me before the procedure, uh, it's probably not cancer because there's usually polyps and it takes two years to form cancers, tissue sometimes usually. Well, it was two years before I had that gushing blood. It could have been just polyps. So yes, this is. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. So if anybody has any symptom sign, don't think you're hypochondriac or crazy. Get it checked. What difference does that make if, if you have to spend a few hours getting that look? Mm -mm. That was that was a big mistake. Big yeah, thank mistake. you for saying so. I Same thing went for to you? my yeah after about six months or so of passing blood. You know, I changed to a vegetarian diet, still oh, passing yeah. blood. Finally, my wife and I are talking. We're like, ah, maybe I should go to the doctor. I go to the doctor. He gives me a digital, tells me I have hemorrhoids. Oh, a couple months later, I go back. Go, hey, doc, the blood's really increasing. Gives me another digital. Goes, yep, you have hemorrhoids. Went back two more times. After the fourth time of him telling me, I'm like, doc, I pass gas and blood comes out. I can't stop the blood from just yeah. exiting my anus. He's like, yep, just stay on the high fiber diet and... So the next day I called, I said, I need to see my doctor so I can go to, I said, I need to see a specialist. They said, well, you have to see your doctor. I said, well, I'd like to see him today, please. He's not available. Or maybe tomorrow, whatever it was. He's not available, but you can see his PA. I said, okay, great. Saw the PA. Had an appointment with a specialist a few days later. And he immediately gave me, he gave me a digital and immediately asked if I had cancer in my family. And... He couldn't see a thing with the scope because there was so much blood. So he sent me in to get a colonoscopy, and they told me that I had cancer. And uh, it was six months of this doctor telling me that I had hemorrhoids. And it's if I hadn't advocated for myself, if I hadn't just pushed even harder, who knows how long it would have gone on. It's so important. And mm -hmm. it's, it's just so important, like, you know, when we pass blood to not self-diagnose. And, no. and my insist. hope is that, yeah, and my insist. hope is that people, if, as you're listening right now, you know, maybe you're a cancer survivor, maybe you're not. But, you know, even if you are, this isn't just for you. This is for your loved ones. You know, when they have yep. a symptom, any kind of symptom, we like to self-diagnose. We like to go, you know, <clears throat> I'm all right. It's not that bad. Versus just having a relationship with our doctor. We get it checked out. Nobody wants to go in the doctor and get a digital exam. Mm -hmm. Right? There's a lot of things we'd rather do. <laughs> right. You had a guest that had the same experience from England. I don't remember her name on a podcast. Mm -hmm. She had yep. the same That was Maria. Experience. Yes. Lovely. But she, uh, lovely woman. Not lovely that she had she to sure go was. through it. Yeah. Yes. But uh, that is, that's first and foremost. And, and it's taken us a, you know, a couple hours maybe. But that is so important. Uh, that don't you just don't fool with anything of, of, about your body when because your your body knows it's talking to you it's telling you help and you need it's to providing listen. symptoms to yes. get your attention yes it's our best yeah. friend it heals it it heals if we can heal it can tell you when it needs help so yeah but mm. and then I'll even acknowledge it, it can it can still be so difficult like you know when my doctor would check in with me you know in between treatments. And before treatment, you know, how you doing? I'm all right, you know. And then, mm -hmm. like, if they don't push, you know, I'm I might. There's times I wouldn't have said, well, you know, or my wife would be like, be there, be like, okay, you said your pain level's not that bad, but you're on, you know, so many milligrams of morphine every day. Did right. you want to mention that? I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's true. easy to just play things it's down. True. It's very true. 
So you passed blood and a lot of it. Then you saw your doctor made a note. And then two years later, yes, it got it was, worse. Yeah, it was, it was, there was more blood and it, it, I was diagnosed with can rectal cancer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you had chemo and radiation and then surgery? Yes. No, I didn't have surgery for my rectal oh, no. cancer. No, I had really? back, back surgery. No, I didn't have to have surgery. I wanted just chemo. I, chemo. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Just chemo and radiation. Mm -hmm. Yes. And can I tell you, I mean, after hearing your horror stories, but can I tell you that that chemo and radiation, and you will understand this perfectly, was enough, right? Mm -hmm. Just that was a horror of enough. But, I mean, I know I mean, we've both heard stories of what people have to go through beyond that. And it's, it, it, I, I go back to it's a mystery. It's a mystery. The human spirit is so oh, strong. Yeah. yeah, I had to have a... Uh... I had colostomy surgery, and it's permanent. Mm -hmm. And then the following six months of chemotherapy. Now, oh my God. I would like to think I would have needed it, but then look what happened. What two and a half years later, it came back. A little bit was sitting in my liver and started growing there. Fourteen yes. is one little spot, and all the doc had to do was go in, was cut it out, that. and then they gave me six and a half, you know, six and a half months of chemo. Uh, but it was systemic chemo, you know, going through my port. Yes. And then there was a secondary chemo she gave me. They put a pump in my abdomen called a hepatic artery infusion pump. Oh, my gosh. And it operates on body temperature and atmospheric pressure. And those two things combined, it actually just pumps chemo into directly into the hepatic artery that goes right into the liver. And then... After that, you'd get two um, chemo treatments through the port, you know, two weeks in a row. And then they take out whatever chemo is in the hepatic artery pump and they replace it with a saline solution because it, it never stops pumping. And if it did stop, blood could go in it, that blood could clot, and then it could pump the clotted blood out into your liver and that could be terrible. So there's this whole, this whole science. But yeah, came back, got the chemo, the surgery, chemo and radiation, and... Um, Margaret, for some crazy reason, it's been almost 10 years. <laughs> well, when you say crazy, we're talking about words, right? And when you say crazy reason, um, I'm not correcting you. I'm, I am speaking what I'm hearing, okay? So mm, yeah. crazy is, is for, I know what you mean by that. I do. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean by lucky. But it, it's so much deeper than that, knowing you now as I do, that it, it's for such a deep, purposeful reason, Margaret, I've been given 10 more years. So you have a deep, purposeful reason for being alive, sharing your story, letting me share mine, allowing this opportunity for other people who are hearing this. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's one person who's just going through a divorce. We don't know. But that is, is that's not a crazy reason. That's a divine occurrence. I, I guess it, for me, when I say it's this crazy thing, what I'm saying is I don't dare to claim to understand all of this. No. And so I will do my, I will continue to be a contribution to the world, but remind myself that, you know, it's, uh, that I'm always learning and, and I'm oh, always yes. new and, uh, it's, uh, and, and, and it keeps me grateful, you know? Yes keeps me honest it, you know helps me to remember like that i really don't know why things might be happening why they are why they're not but i can 
And, and so then, and, and therefore, or may I say, since I don't know why life is happening the way it is, it just it keeps me humble. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is a good thing. Mm. Yeah. Which is a very good thing. So you had chemo radiation and then no surgery, and then they said, congratulations, you're done. Well, I have to go back every six months for five to years. To get your skin. Yeah, you know, get your get scans. That, they get the, I didn't have, well, I had the scans afterwards, but I have to have the blood work done. Mm-hmm. And then, but then after, you know, then I had the surgery on my back. So. Yes. And how are you doing with that? How are you feeling? I am doing great. Better than ever. Oh, no scooters. Oh, no. One, what, yeah, no scooters. I can walk. Um, I do physical therapy. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I am on a, I have always exercised. So I, I never stopped even with my, even with my uh, cancer. So I exercise every single day, but I have specific exercises that really help, have helped me a lot with my back. Wonderful. Strengthening the core. I'm so happy to hear that. That's great. It's, I, th- I just found it curious because like, before I started my chemo and radiation, the docs had told me, they were like, look, uh, go to your dentist, make sure you don't need any dental work done because mm-hmm. once you start chemo, you know, we can't do this stuff and we don't want to stop the chemo. Mm-hmm. So how many weeks of chemotherapy did you have? Um, I had, well, they were interspersed through my five, I have a five, I had a five week plan. Five weeks. Five of, weeks. Uh-huh, five weeks of radiation and then the interspersed were two full weeks of the chemo of five day weeks. I had the pump. Oh. I had the pump, you know. Send you home with it. Mm-hmm. I had the injection there. Mm-hmm. I had to wait yep. I had the injection, and yeah. then I had the pump, and then you go through all those crazy side effects. But the one thing I remember the best about it is my daughter being here, and having the sweetest. Uh, she just knew what to do. You know, she would wake me up during the night and to take a pill or whatever. It just, just it was just Aww. wonderful. What a sweetheart. How yeah. fortunate you were. Well, yes. Fortunate you are. And she designed my website. She's brilliant. And she can do just about anything. But <laughs> she knows everything. She knows something about everything. Raw. You're very fortunate. Margaret, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I so have enjoyed getting to know you. And I appreciate having you in my life now. Me too. I look forward to more communication. Thank you so much. Bye, Bert. Absolutely. I'll Bye. send you the CD. Okay. Thank you. And okay. you'll get a book signed. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. If you'd like to support But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. And thank you so much for all you do. This show is brought to you in part by the Cancer Resource Center of the Finger Lakes here in Ithaca, New York. Learn more about the Cancer Resource Center at crcfl.net because no one should face cancer alone. See you all in the next episode, and thank you so much for listening. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of Saint Kid. You can find him on social media as the Saint Kid. 
The purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis. The hosting guests are not medical professionals, and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy. Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.